we are picking up our look at what Matthew saw in chapter 16 this week, where first the Pharisees and Sadducees come asking Jesus for a sign from heaven because they're pretty sure he's in league with the devil because that's the only explanation they can come up with for all the things he's already done. Right on the heels of that, Peter makes a bit of a breakthrough, declaring that he believes that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God, he says. But then, immediately following this dramatic declaration, Peter shows that he really doesn't understand, at least not yet. This is starting in verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on godly things, but on human things. The Pharisees have one idea of what the Messiah ought to be. Peter has another. Neither of them understand what it is that Jesus actually has in mind. And we can see from Jesus' response to Peter that the temptation to go about this Messiah thing a different way must have been a real one for Jesus, just as it will be in the Garden of Gethsemane right before his arrest when he pleads with God for another way. Peter is a stumbling block because Peter's way does seem pretty great. Use your power to defeat your enemies and take control, not give yourself up to death. But Jesus at some level knows that the way to life is not by avoiding death, but by going through and conquering it. A mystery that will also be in store for his followers. Jesus says, get behind me to Peter. And many of the commentators I read connected that to the idea that the proper place for a disciple is behind the teacher, following in their footsteps, doing what they do. And this is exactly what Jesus has in mind. Continuing on in verse 24 with one of the more famous passages of Matthew. Then Jesus told his disciples, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? What will it profit them to gain the whole world but forfeit your life? And this is forfeit your life in the sense that we've often talked about around here, of stepping off the path to life, the path of trusting God, and stepping onto one of the many paths that lead away from God, where there is no life to be found. So what is the way to life? The road that leads to God? It is when we deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus on the road that he too is about to walk. And we're going to spend our time today unpacking a bit what exactly taking up our cross means. And we need to do this because I think for the most part, the Christian church has lost sight of what exactly Jesus is saying here. I grew up hearing that deny myself and take up my cross meant sacrificing for Jesus, maybe being willing to face persecution, that I should be bold and pray for my food in the lunchroom, even if people thought it was weird. And I should tell the four spiritual laws to strangers, even though people might reject me. And those weird looks, that rejection, well, that's taking up your cross. Here's the thing, though. Mild embarrassment and strange looks from classmates, as serious as those might seem for a 14-year-old, Those aren't the cross. Jesus' words are coming from a particular social and historical context. And in that social and historical context, the cross had a very particular meaning. A meaning that it's hard for us to get back to. Because we've grown up in a culture in which it is normal to see crosses right next to the garden gnomes used as yard decorations. Or dangling off someone's ears or around their necks in solid gold. But in Jesus' day... 
The cross had one and only one meaning. It was the means of death for the very worst criminals in the Roman Empire. Sometimes this meant those who had done particularly egregious crimes, but primarily the cross was the fate for those who had committed treason against the empire. Those who had rebelled against or undermined the power of Rome and who needed to be made an example of. The cross was a shameful public death so that all might see what happens to those who mess with the emperor. Take up your cross and follow me means if you want to be my disciple, you too will find yourself at odds with and accused of treason by the state. And your fate will be the fate of all those who walk that way. This is, uncoincidentally, the very same accusation the Pharisees are making against Jesus, just from a different angle. To them and the other religious powers of Israel, Jesus is a traitor to the people of God, leading them astray from Yahweh and the law Moses had given them. It is also, uncoincidentally, the same accusation Jeremiah faced in his day, something you may remember if you were with us when we went through the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah the prophet was accused of treason because his incessant words from God were undermining the confidence of the people in the leadership, the leadership that soon would lead the people to death at the hands of the Babylonians, just as Jeremiah said they would. It seems this is a common fate for those who put their trust in Yahweh. They are seen as treasonous by both the so-called people of God and the broader culture, the empire around them. Jesus' message here And if you combine his words from the previous chapters that we've seen about family turning against family and the like, the message is clear. Both the so-called people of God and the broader culture will see you as traitors and treat you as traitors because of your allegiance to Jesus and to the kingdom of God. This is not a metaphor that Jesus is speaking. It is a real and present reality for his followers. So then how are we to read this today? Because whatever might happen to us from following Jesus, a literal cross is not coming our way. One option is the one I mentioned learning when I grew up. Funny looks, mild social rejection, that's the cross. I think that falls short a bit. When we were talking about this message this week, Meredith half-joked that cancel culture was the cross we Christians have to bear. And this is, of course, how some Christians are interpreting carrying their cross today, being canceled for their beliefs by the libs. But there are a couple problems with this. First, the serious consequences Jesus is talking about are coming because of allegiance to Jesus. Saying racist, sexist, and bigoted things and then being called out on it is not being canceled for your allegiance to Jesus. It's being canceled for being an ass. Those are slightly different things. Actually, opposite things, but that's a whole other sermon. So that's the first problem with seeing cancel culture's response to Christians as analogous to what Jesus is saying here. And the second problem is even more telling and even more serious, I think. And that is the response of many so-called Jesus followers to what they see as persecution for their beliefs. Many Christians have felt that the church is losing ground and losing respect in our culture in recent decades, that Christianity's central place in the culture is being lost And this, then, was one of the primary reasons given by many for voting for Trump. Because he's going to fight for us and stand up for us, and we may not like all that comes with him, but we need someone to stick it to the godless lefties who are persecuting us. To put it simply, if we are interested in following Jesus, if that is actually what our goal is, then our reaction to persecution is not to elect a Trump figure. That way lies the path that Peter wanted to take. It is not the reaction that Jesus commands. 
which is to pick up our cross. Jesus' response in the face of the literal cross was such that it made his followers remember the words of the prophet Isaiah. This is from Isaiah chapter 53. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. The proper response to persecution because of our allegiance to Jesus is the response that Jesus had to pick up our cross and carry it quietly, submitting to the consequences that have always come to those who fully put their trust in Yahweh. But here there's an important distinction to make. Quiet acceptance is the proper response to the consequences of our allegiance to Jesus. But allegiance to Jesus means we do not quietly accept the status quo. I believe I said this during our Black History Month podcast this week. It may have been on the backdrop. I can't really remember right now. But God has always been against the status quo. Because while the status quo may sometimes lean closer and sometimes lean further away from the kingdom of God, there is always a chasm there. And following Jesus means pointing out that chasm and telling the truth about injustice. Here is the key point I want to make today. Allegiance to Jesus means, as Jesus said to Peter, getting behind Jesus, doing what Jesus does. And that means first getting loud about injustice, like Jesus did. Loud about the kingdom of God and how it confronts the status quo, even if it seems treasonous to do so. Whether it's the church or the state that levels the charge of treason. Pomona Valley Church was started because there was a group of us who wanted to follow Jesus into the world together and who saw some of the ways that the existing churches we had been a part of were getting in the way of that. For us, maybe, but more importantly for others. One of those things was that we saw it as unjust, that people who genuinely wanted to follow Jesus were being treated as deficient disciples because they were LGBTQ. And so we were going to fully include them. As most of you know, that's treason. And our little church plant was treated as treasonous by those who control the purse strings of church planting in the evangelical world. If you want to start a church that tells women their job is to shut their mouths, look pretty for their husbands, and stay home with the kids, you can have all the money you want. If you'd be willing to bless the marriage of two Christ followers who want to commit to be faithful to one another for life because that's what Jesus has called them to, and they're both men, well, you're a traitor. But allegiance to Jesus means we get behind Jesus. And do what he did. And do what all followers of God do in the pages of scripture and throughout history. And we get loud about injustice. So that the kingdom of God, full of God's justice and goodness, might supplant the status quo. And become a reality on earth as it is in heaven. And then second, allegiance to Jesus means we get behind Jesus and do what he did. And we get quiet about suffering personal consequences for our treasonous ways. We lose our life like Jesus did, though probably in a more metaphorical way, I'll admit. And in so doing, in denying ourselves our right to fight back, we find that on the other side of death is life. Because when we get behind Jesus, walking his path, and give up our lives for the sake of Jesus, we wake up in the kingdom of God. When we were together, Meredith led us through a response where we did some journaling and then some discussion around a few questions around these ideas. What might it look like to get loud about injustice, to speak up about things that need to change, and then get quiet about the consequences? And so here are some prompts that you might want to think through on your own. Um, If you have somebody you can discuss them with, 
over the week ahead, that could be good as well. But first we thought about who do I need to get loud to? Maybe we're alumni or part of an institution that needs to change. What issues are being discussed by your local government or your school board? Is there a family member or a friend maybe who you would hope would see something in a new way? Then second, what change do we hope to see? And Meredith encouraged us to go big here. It might feel like nothing could ever change, but why don't we suspend that thought for a minute and think about what might the letter we send or the conversation we have include? And then to go with that, what might be a first small step towards that change? So that was kind of the second set of prompts that we thought through. And then finally, what consequences may come? So I would encourage you to use those three prompts to do some reflecting on your own of what treasonous action you might take because you follow Jesus. Who might you want to change? What change would you like to see? And then what consequences might you be willing or need to accept because of that? We'll leave you there for this week. See you next time.